children have vivid imaginations and love. Good afternoon and welcome to the council. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, welcome, folks. I'm Charlie Pacello, your host. And we're waiting for one more camera here to come on and we'll get started with the show for today. Good afternoon and welcome to the council. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello, and welcome to the show. It's been a few weeks since uh, I've been on. I've been traveling and uh, had this amazing opportunity uh, to spend some time with uh, some warriors, some rescuers, some protectors, policemen, firefighters, uh, veterans, emergency medical specialists, uh, all congregated in Orcas Island uh, a couple weeks ago for a warrior's uh, spirituality and well-being retreat. And there was about 35 of us that attended. And we were able to uh, uh, get a, a place on Orcas Island called Indralaya, where we all were transported on a ferry to this little island. And we had one of the most amazing, holistic, incredibly transformative experiences for everybody who was involved. And uh, it was just absolutely incredible. Met some of the most incredible people as well, which are going to be future guests on this show. It was an all-star, I mean, these quiet leaders, all-star leaders all around this country in all of these uh, different uh, warrior type of professions that uh, are really taking uh, an effort to really help people deal with some of the issues that come with being a warrior, with come with being in these professions where they're out on the front line, where they're running into danger and while well, everybody else is running back. So you're going to get to meet a few of these uh, people very soon, and we're going to talk about a lot of important things that police officers and firefighters and veterans and others, what they face and what people are doing to help them out. Uh, I do want to do a quick announcement before we go ahead and start. I've I, I got to give a, a shout-out to my sponsors here. Uh, Remax Alliance. Uh, without Remax Alliance, the show wouldn't be possible. If you want to buy a home in Colorado, please go to these guys. They are the best in the business. Uh, I know them personally. I've known them for a very long time. If you want to buy or sell a home, you want to find your dream home here, go to www.homesincolorado.com. That's homesincolorado.com. And just tell them I sent you there, that you heard the radio show, and go there. They will, they're uh, people with integrity, honesty, and they will help you to find your home. Uh, so please, again, visit www.homesincolorado.com. I also have an announcement that I will be speaking at an event uh, in April in Las Vegas. It's called the 5D event. It's about spirituality. It's about uh, higher consciousness. Uh, business leadership, and I'll be one of the speakers at this event. Uh, it's going to be in Las Vegas, uh, April 19th through the 21st, I believe. You can find that on one of my pages if you're interested in it. Go to www.5devents.com if you're interested in buying tickets. And it should be an amazing, amazing group of people, amazing uh, effort to help bring uh, awareness and, and uh, lift our consciousness up and to bring... Uh, uh, us to a better place in this world. So please go there, www.5devents.com. Also, I uh, want to make sure that you know that I have an offer out for anybody who's watching this show anywhere around the world. If you want to work with me and you want to uh, are interested in some of the work that I do, please email me at charlespacello.com. That's C-H-A-R-L-E-S-P-A-C-E-L-L-O at gmail.com and just put in the in the subject line help me charlie uh, i'm giving away a, fr a free 15-minute consultation where we can talk about whatever problem that you're having right now whether it's uh, dealing with trauma whether it's dealing with uh, divorce whether it's dealing with uh, any kind of uh, personal issues that you may have from uh, an emotionally or, or psychologically abusive relationship whatever it may be Please email me at charlespacello.com, that's C-H-A-R-L-E-S-P-A-C-E-L-L-O at gmail.com. This offer goes until December 25th, Christmas Day, and uh, I hope to hear from you. Uh, I'd love to work with you. This is something that I'm very, very passionate about, is to help you get your life back, to transform it, to become larger than whatever happened to you, uh, and to integrate and assimilate those wounds. 
Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, a lot of cool things. And uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about guilt, shame, and vulnerability. Um, we're going to talk about how to be able to get over that. Because a lot of, when I was at this retreat, a lot of people talked about that, uh, you know, guilt and shame is part of the, uh, the experience of, of participating and doing these type of um, um, jobs. And that uh, there's this working with tragedy, working with trauma, working with any kind of loss and violence. You uh, leaves that soldier, or leaves that first responder with this kind of vague sense of guilt and shame. I'm wondering if I could have done something better if I, or I should have done something better or why did this happen to me or I didn't do enough. And so I want to talk a little bit about how we can take the steps to be able to overcome that. But first, what I want to talk to you about is something I think is really kind of cool. I want to spend a few minutes with you on reincarnation. All right. Do our souls really come back from wherever they go? You know, is such a thing plausible? You know, a lot of the ancients believed that our souls uh, were eternal and that they would migrate and that uh, Socrates uh, would talk about the immortality of the soul and how it moves from the spirit world and into another world and then would come back into ours. And he, he wrote, this was written in the, in the, uh, the Phaedo by Plato. Many philosophers and, and spiritual teachers and masters and all going, have spoken out this idea about the soul and whether the soul comes back to earth and takes on another form uh, in order to learn and evolve. And over 50%, over 50% of the world's population believes in reincarnation. But where is the scientific evidence to support this? Well, the most compelling evidence of reincarnation comes from a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Ian Stevenson. And he began his research into reincarnation at the University of Virginia around 1960. And he was the head, uh, the former head of the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Virginia. And his work is the best uh, and most respected collection of scientific data that appears to give scientific proof of reincarnation. And he investigated the stories of very young children who had memories of previous lives. And he spent 40 years of his life traveling the world and compiling this evidence. And he collected over 2,500 cases of these children making these claims, and half of which were solved, meaning they had been verified. And he would make method, excuse me, method, methodically document, he would methodically document the child's statements of a previous life, and then he identified the deceased person the child remember being, and verified the facts of the deceased person life that matched the child's memory. Now, his studies are scrupulously objective and methodolo methodologically impeccable. I keep <laughs> messing up that word. Uh, and I highly suggest you look him up for yourself. But what I want to show to you right now, I want to show you something that I think will just kind of make you wonder. So if you'll go ahead and take a look at the screen here for just a moment. We'll be at this video as soon as we can. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about something. Until stories that are nothing more than strange and weird fantasies from a child's innocent mind. Nope, it's not that one. But what if the stories they tell are too real and too factual? And what they describe could not possibly have come from the mind of a child as young as two or four years old. And you have to ask the question, where on earth could they have learned this as they could not read or write and the only TV or films they were probably viewed were cartoons or innocent children's shows? These special children were able to recall events, places, times and people's names with incredible accuracy. But how could all of this information come from someone so young and innocent? The following are five amazing stories from children um, more than just If I could get back to the uh, studio here, that's the wrong video. If you could put on the right video for me, please. Hold on, folks, just a second while we get this corrected. It was a previous one. 
We're just having a little technical difficulties here, folks. It wasn't that one. It was the first one. Before that. It was the one before that one, the one that I sent you. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Wrong video. Hopefully we'll get the right one now. <laughs> this is the one I wanted you to see. 11-year-old James Leininger looks and acts like most boys his age, but beneath his playful spirit is a very deep soul. I said, you know, I'm really glad you're my son. And I'm, I'm, I'm just really fun to have you as my son. And he says, well, he says, I know that's why I picked you. When we first met Bruce, Andrea, and James in 2005, his passion for World War II fighter planes was obvious. I can beat the Japanese easy as pie. The fascination began when he was a toddler. James seemed intimately familiar with the aircrafts. He started doing these little drawings of airplanes shooting at other airplanes are being shot down. Bombing ships, you see men parachuting. Here's another one where planes are dropping bombs. This is a carrier. The violent drawings were followed by extreme night terrors. He would just be crying. It's an airplane crash on fire, a little man can't get out. He laid on his back and kicked up at the ceiling, and he goes, Mama, the little man's going like this. And he laid on his back and kicked his feet up. The little man's going, ooh, 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 can't get out. And I said, well, who's the little man, baby? And he goes, me. I thought Bruce and I were just going to faint. They questioned, what kind of plane? Corsair. Why did your airplane crash? My plane was shot down. Who, who shot your plane? He looked at me like I was a village idiot. He said, the Japanese. Where did he take off from the boat? Do you remember the name of your boat? He said, Natoma. And his name? He always said James. But his name is James. Stunned by his son's words, Bruce tracked down veterans of the USS Natoma Bay. I wanted to disprove it. Columbus, Ohio native Leo Pyatt served on the ship. He asked uh, a few questions about, uh, did I know some of the people? Oh, yeah, I remember those people. Yes, there was a Jim Houston, or rather large shell. You just hit him in the, the engine and it burst into flames and went down. It was all real. James Houston, born and raised in the Midwest, was shot down over Chichijima, Japan. He got uh, very uh, quiet. The Liningers were speechless again when James met Natoma Bay veterans and recognized them by name. You're Bob Greenwald. <laughs> I'm serious. He never met Bob Greenwald. No, he never met him before. They tracked down James Houston's sister, Anne. And he goes, uh, it's not Anne, it's Annie. She wasn't my oldest sister. I had an older sister than that. And I said, you did? Who was that? And he goes, Ruth. I mean, Ruth. Annie is what they called me when I was little. Knowing my name and my sister's name, things that my brother did when he was a kid. It's too amazing to Describe. James recalled his favorite childhood possessions, and when we spoke to them via Skype, they shared one specific story involving James Houston's mother. Annie had sent James the picture that her mother had painted of James Houston, and when James got it, he called Annie to thank her, and he said, where's the one mom painted of you? And so she went and found it and sent a copy, and later on she told us that no one in the world except her brother and sister knew that there was an identical picture of Annie when she was the same age. Amazing stories like that caught the attention of Japanese filmmakers. Not long after our story aired, they flew James and his entire family to Chichijima, Japan, and the site of James Houston's plane crash. Took a tour of the island, got up on a ridge overlooking the harbor. James said, this is where the planes flew in the day my plane was shot down. Without any help, James knew exactly where the plane crashed. They held a memorial service and dropped flowers over the wreckage. And James just got so emotional and just lost it. And it was just the most heart-wrenching thing. But when it was over, it was cathartic. You know, it still gives me goosebumps to think that we actually got there and we were there and we were able to close the loop, especially for James, that it was, it was something really important to him. And when they returned, the death and destruction pictures were replaced with this. There's dolphins and there's the Japanese ship has its flags flying. At James's urging, they put all of this and many more incredible stories on paper and published this new book, Soul Survivor. I hope that it helps people understand the meaning of how precious life is, how fast it can just blow away. The Leiningers say they aren't promoting reincarnation. Before James, 
they didn't believe in it. And I really believe that there's a purpose to this story and that the God that created us wants this story told. And I also hope that it opens people's eyes up to reincarnation. You do? Yeah, I hope it opens people's eyes up to the fact that reincarnation can happen. It is a possibility. It's not a lie. Suzanne Stratford, Fox 8 News. Pretty amazing. Now, some of you may say that that's a hoax. Oh, my gosh, they must have just done it for money. Ah, you know what? So a lot of those details, I don't know. How do you know that? How does a little boy know those things? It's not like two-and-a-half-year-old learns that from Sesame Street and knows all the details about the, 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 the bomber plane that he flew. I mean, there's just too much in there that just doesn't, doesn't fit. I mean, so, uh, wow, what an incredible story. And if our souls really do have that possibility, I mean, if you believe in the soul, I mean, you've got you to gotta have that belief in the first place. If you don't, if you think we're just uh, uh, a bunch of cells and, uh, you know, uh, chemicals and all that kind of stuff, then this you won't resonate with you. But if you believe in the soul and the eternity of the soul, something like this should just resonate and strike you. And, you know, the story of James is something that has come down to us through was four re years of research by his parents. Um, and Bruce was very disturbed by it. He was, uh, went through a huge personal struggle on it uh, because the idea of reincarnation conflicted with his beliefs. And uh, he, in the end, he became a Christian who did end up believing, who had accepted that reincarnation uh, as a reality. And, uh, but we learned, you know, just in the video, that this small boy, as a toddler, <laughs> had a passion for Japanese warplanes from World War II. Where did that come from? You know, he seemed intimately familiar with the aircraft. He was doing drawings of the plane. No, no boy I know that age, at two and a half, three years old, would draw those kinds of things. I didn't. After turning two years of age, James started to experience all these vivid nightmares that would make him scream from out of his sleep. And his parents would rush in and see him struggling and crying and kicking and, and throwing over the covers. And like he was trapped in an airplane, and he would just cry out, airplane crash, airplane crash, plane on fire, little man can't get out. And they would ask him, who, you know, who's the little man in the airplane? And he would say, it was me. And both Bruce and Andrew were surprised with the knowledge regarding these w, World War II aircraft. Uh, as they knew, he was not learning this information from normal means. You know, he wasn't getting this stuff from Sesame Street. Uh, and so they started asking more detailed questions, you know, what plane did you fly? Corsair. What, why did your plane crash? My plane was shot down. Who shot your plane? The Japanese. Where did you, your boat take off from? Or what did you take off from? A boat. Do you remember the name of your boat? Natoma. What is your name? James. Which confused them because his name was actually James. <laughs> uh, he wasn't even potty trained and he was knowing all these intimate details about World War II. And so his father, Bruce, went out to disprove all this. He decided to research all the, the information that James was saying, and he discovered there was indeed a World War II aircraft carrier named the Natoma Bay that had operated in the Pacific during the campaign or the battle for Iwo Jima. Tracked down the veterans who were a part of that, uh, the, on that ship, and they told him there was a James Houston Jr. who died in the invasion battle of Iwo Jima. And when this little James met some of the Toma Bay veterans, he, was there, he knew some of these guys by name. Uh, they also tracked down his sister, uh, James Houston's sister, Anne, and they set up a phone call with her, and she was 84 years old, and in this conversation, James knew many personal details of James Houston's life, which Anne confirmed as accurate. Uh, for example, little James told Annie that he called her, call, called her Annie, not Anne. And you know, Anne confirmed that, the, that only James Houston called her Annie. Uh, little James told Anne that he had a sister named Ruth, which was correct. And little James said Ruth was four years older than Anne, and that Anne was four years older than James, which was correct. And little James reported that the father was an alcoholic and smashed things when drunk and that he had to go into rehab for alcoholism. Anne corroborated this. 
and later sent a picture her mother had painted of James Houston to the younger James. And then little James called Annie to thank her and asked, which one, where was the one that mom painted of you? And she went, found a copy, sent it, and told Bruce and Andrea no one in the world except her brother and sister knew there was an identical picture of Annie at the same age. Pretty amazing. Is, what do we learn from this? It, I don't know. It's up to you to decide. Is reincarnation possible? I think it doesn't. There's not proof. There's, it's not. This should be noted that there's, this is not proof that reincarnation is possible. But without question, there's a lot of empirical evidence uh, for it. So, it, obviously, in this video and in this uh, news news program here, uh, it's pretty compelling. It's up for you to decide. But I thought I just wanted to share that with you as uh, you know, as a possibility that maybe. We are eternal in that way, and our souls do come back, and our actions do count. And if this, that's the truth, what we do matters. <laughs> when I, uh, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And we, maybe sometimes we come back to heal old wounds. Maybe we, sometimes we come back to get things right. And, uh, and it's, we come back and we have to transform it. Otherwise, we keep living these same problems over and over and over again. And we've got to find a way to, to, uh, to heal these past wounds. And, and, and one of the ways that we can heal our past and, and to have a better, healthier, and uh, happier present and future is we've got to deal with looking at our guilt and shame. We've got, that's one of the first places that we have to go to. <clears throat> and it's really hard. It's not easy to get into the, to the, some of those sticky areas that we, we, we have to navigate through. And one of the things you learn in, in, when, you, when you work with me um, is that your mind is the cause. You know, the observa observable world is the effect. And that perception is a mirror. It's not a fact. And what you look, out on, what you look on is your state of mind reflected outward. Right? In order to heal from our past, um, you've got to be able to understand the nature of guilt, shame, and vulnerability. When guilt and shame are present, we are constantly fighting against the regrettable memories of our past and the things we wish we would have done differently, the things that we may find are unforgivable, that we can't free ourselves from and are imprisoned by. Guilt and shame is the preoccupation with sin. Now, sin has been used over the centuries in order to kind of manipulate and control people, but it, it's was intended to help us to understand and, and navigate when we've erred, when we've gone against the, the, the right way, when we've made a mistake, um, when we have hurt somebody else. All right? it's, uh, it's when you've gone against your own nature. That's what a, that's what a sin was. And it's, a, it's an activity that um, is part of darkness of the world. And it's, uh, it injures you. It, it makes you weaker. It, it, it's, uh, for example, one example of it could be of, a, of a, a sin is that you hear that little voice says, you know, you can have that, uh, that drink. You can take that drink if you want. You'll be fine. Don't worry. And so it plays with your conscience. And it will, it's against nature. It's against your nature to make you weak, to, to weaken you. And so the soul will always signal you in ways when you're, when you're being weakened. So when your thoughts are destructive, that are designed to take you down, that, are, that encourage you to do the opposite of what you know is right, that comes from, that comes from darkness. And that's where, that's where we go into sin. Now, sin is actually an archery term. If you look it up in the, in the Hebrew, um, Greek or Aramaic Greek, it's a hata, which is... Uh, it means you've, you've missed the gold, you've missed the, the mark in the center. And so it's, and it's when we have those moments that we have to hear and make sure that we're, am I, being, am I leaning to the light or am I leaning to the dark? And the second kind that's really important to understand is that when, when these thoughts that you have that, that kind of take other people down with you, you know, that you do something and you know it's going to take them down. And the third form of, of, of expression that it shows up as is when you consciously know that a choice you are making will result 
in another person paying the price. And you consciously know that. All right, that's, that's when you know you've, you've sinned. That's when you know you've erred. And that's when you've really, you've missed the mark. And you've got you've to get back on it. And, but sin has become exaggerated to the point of we're going to be fear of internal damnation. And so we don't make those corrections. You know, our souls are going to be burning in the fires of hell for all eternity. And this idea has been so embedded itself in our unconscious minds that we often punish ourselves in the present moment for the sins that we've made in this life, because even before God has even, you know, passed judgment on us. Um, and because we see ourselves as having made unforgivable errors, sinners. Uh, we continue to do the things that bring us pain, which only strengthens the idea that we are sinners. We are bad. And we are going to hell. You know, you're going to hell. I'm going to hell. We're just, and let's just uh, drink ourselves until we, until we get there. You know, and that becomes a vicious cycle we do to ourselves without even us being aware of it. And the lives of the people who are around us suffer because of it. And we suffer because of the guilt and shame that we carry whether we're consciously aware of it or not. And by virtue of these unconscious negative beliefs, uh, they can debilitate and torture one's life completely and alter the very course that it started out from. So, what is the nature of guilt and shame? Guilt is, I've done something bad and I should feel bad about it. And shame is, I've done something bad, and therefore, I am bad. Now, shame is total despair. It's an overwhelming feeling of hopelessness. Life has lost all its meaning, and there's this feeling that our errors are totally unforgivable, and we will never be able to recover from it. It is the total imprisonment of oneself. Now, shame is the lowest energy of the universe. Someone who is so self-absorbed into their own shame cannot see how they will ever extricate themselves from the place that they find their lives in and where they find themselves in. Shame will destroy. Guilt is intimately connected with shame. Guilt can be turned inward or guilt can be turned outward. Guilt turned inward is self-violence. You're committing violence towards yourself. See, guilt provokes rage. Guilt provokes rage. So let's say you're guilty of doing something, or you have done, or having done something, or having experienced something, participated in something. And if you are nonviolent, you will turn that rage that guilt provokes against yourself. And this shows up as I'm not good enough. You know, I don't deserve this. I'm a terrible person. I'm a failure. I'm not worthy, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if you're prone to violence and you're prone to acting out from your pain, you'll project that hatred out and you'll put it on somebody or on a group of people and you will put it out there. You will put it out there and then you will seek the means of revenge and retaliation, which only exacerbates and excites the predator in you. Vengeance is the predator in you. And that's all something we have to recognize and understand and get under control. But that's how guilt manifests itself. Guilt is the consequence of the memory of regretted past actions as they are recalled. Now, when you feel, what you feel is that what you have done is so bad. And what follows are these self-punitive judgments. And you make about your past actions that I don't deserve to have anything. I'm not worthy of anything. I'm not lovable. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, you can't redeem me. And in the face of all, you, you believe that. You, none of, you, you cannot be redeemed. And what pins this all together is this belief you don't deserve to have anything good in your life. And you're completely unforgivable. Now, guilt and shame have been exploited by people of power throughout mankind's, humankind's history for a long time. Uh, and... They've kept us in fear and trepidation for the welfare of our souls. And this traps us in our tragedies of our past. What I want you to know is that guilt is something that ages you and will make you sick. Because it will show up in your body. And if you don't change it, 
you, it will it will make you sick. You've got to if you, and heal it. You've got to heal it. And it can be changed. It can be recontextualized, and it can be used as a means to recalibrate your life and your story, which will help you to make peace with your past. Now, anybody who's experienced any kind of uh, tragedy, trauma, loss, violence, you know, mistakes that you've made, uh, you can overcome and transcend your guilt and shame if you take the steps necessary to overcome it. Now, the foremost authority, an expert on guilt and shame, is Dr. Brene Brown, who spent 10 years researching guilt, shame, and vulnerability. Now, her research uh, I've, I've been absorbed in for many years, and uh, I have a video that I have a lot of my clients watch. And I'm going to go into detail what she uncovered and discovered through her years of collecting data and information regarding this topic. Uh, I'm going to share with you a lot of what the, uh, what's in this video, what its meaning is, and, and a lot of what I got out of it. And I think it's going to help you. Before I go on to that, I do want to make a quick announcement. Um, we are broadcasting the council live all around the world on www.kuhsdenver.com. That's kuhsdenver.com. We are broadcasting from Colorado, Denver, Colorado, all across this nation and all across the world. Uh, we are having people tuning in from every continent listening to the show. Uh, I just want to thank each and every one of you who's tuning in, who's given me the honor to, uh, to give grace, to give information, wisdom, understanding, enlightenment, hopefully, and, and hopefully giving you hope. Uh, so thank you for watching this show. And thank you for tuning in to KUHSDenver.com. We've got the best shows and programs. Uh, you don't want to miss them. So please tune into this station. Now, Brene Brown begins in, her, uh, in, her, in this video talking about connection. And the reason why we are here on this planet is to connect with others. We want to connect with them physically. We want to connect with them emotionally, intimately, psychologically, and spiritually. And when we have connection with others, this gives us the meaning and purpose in our lives that we so deeply cherish. And if we have connection to others, to ourselves, to all of life, our lives become imbued and filled with meaning and purpose. We are neurobiologically programmed to feel connected to others. And when we experience any kind of tragedy or loss or violence or trauma or PTS, uh, whether it's from war, from physical abuse, emotional abuse, accidents, disasters, rape, whatever it may be, we feel disconnected from life. And we have been disconnected from connection. And what unravels this connection is shame. The shame is the fear and disconnection that there is something wrong about me. And that if others know and see that thing inside of me, what I've done, what happened to me, what I experienced, then I won't be worthy of any connection. And this deeply rooted fear is something we all have. This is not an American issue. This is universal. And the only ones who don't have this fear are those who are sociopathic, about 2% of the population, who have no empathy whatsoever. They cannot empathize. They just can't. Who are unable to feel compassion for others, who are unable to put themselves in other people's shoes, and therefore cannot connect to people uh, on an emotional level. The thing is, we don't want to talk about this stuff. No one wants to talk about their shame. No one wants to talk about their guilt because we've been taught to suppress it, this dark, ugly side of us that we should avoid and separate ourselves from. Hence, we project these unwanted qualities within us out into the world, and they become our shadow figures, and these shadow figures are the things we hate about ourselves. And when we see it in others, we end up hating that quality in them. When we project it out into the world, it can lead to violence, and the acting out of our repressed desires to destroy that which we hate in them, which is really about us. However, this doesn't produce the desired effect of eliminating that which we loathe. And instead, what happens is our acts of violence only create more violence. 
Renee Brown says, if you don't talk about your shame and guilt, there's a good chance you got it. And the less you talk about it, the more you got it. She points out that shame is lethal. It will destroy you. And as she defines it, shame is the profound sense that you are unworthy of love and belonging. If you don't feel you're deserving of love and belonging, you won't survive. Aristotle, the great philosopher, Greek philosopher, said that we are social by nature. Thus, if we don't feel like we belong, that is as good as death. We may be alive, but we are dead inside. Now, what holds this idea of shame together is the idea that I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve to have good things. I'm just a terrible human being that I don't deserve to have the good things that life has to offer. And this idea, this idea, the seed that gets planted in our mind makes us feel extraordinarily, excruciatingly vulnerable. And as a consequence, we can feel immense despair and total hopelessness of ever being able to connect again to another human being, really connect. And this state of existence can be overwhelmingly painful to the sufferer because of the deeply held unconscious fear associated with the total absence of love, which is fundamental to our existence. Now, in order for us to connect to others, we have to allow ourselves to be seen. We have to give ourselves permission to show others who we really are without fear of being rejected or shamed because it is the only way we will be able to have a true authentic connection with another human being. We have to feel worthy of connection. We have to. Now, this is what shame boils down to. Am I worthy of love, belonging, and connection? To feel shame is to believe you are not worthy. The opposite of shame is worthiness. So how do you get a sense of worthiness? A deep feeling of being worthy of, of belonging, love, and connection. The key is to allow yourself to be vulnerable. To speak your truth without guilt, without shame, without anger or blame, and to trust that your willingness to be totally transparent will foster the conditions to bring the truth of who you are out for all those to see. Dr. Brene Brown talks about wholehearted people. Now, wholehearted people feel they are worthy of connection and have a strong sense of who they are, regardless of what other people might be saying about them. Now, Brown describes four characteristics of wholehearted people. Courage, compassion, connection, and vulnerability. Now, courage is often confused with bravery. And one of the ways our culture has defined courage is the inner strength to face your fears, which is often equated with standing on the battlefield in front of a line facing a barrage of artillery, witnessing and partaking in the horrors of battle. This is bravery. Courage actually comes from the Latin, and its etymological root is of the heart. Hence, the true meaning of courage is to tell your story of who you are with your whole heart. That's what courage is. Now, wholehearted people are able to speak the story of who they are with their whole heart. They're able to speak about their imperfections, their insecurities, their self-doubts, and they're able to do that with a sense of love about themselves and recognition of their own limitations. They're grounded in a strong sense of self-esteem. They know how to esteem themselves. You see, our ego minds have a tendency to infect how we perceive ourselves. If we are not as perfect as our ego mind directs us to be, then we believe on some level, whether we are conscious of this or not, that we are not good. Wholehearted people do not have this conundrum. They recognize that life is a journey. They are imperfect by nature, which gives them permission to grow and learn from their mistakes and errors, 
consciously without the burden of the excessive weight of guilt and shame. We can only become the people we are, be are capable of becoming by learning from our mistakes. And if we don't allow ourselves to learn from our mistakes and get stuck in guilt and shame, we impede the process of our own evolution. Now, compassion is the understanding or empathy for the suffering of others. And wholehearted people have compassion for themselves, for others, and recognize their own humanity. They have let go of anything they thought they were supposed to be or should be so they could be who they are. This enables you to have true connection with someone because you're not hiding anything anymore. You don't want to be hiding anything. You're showing your strengths, your weaknesses, all of it. And by allowing yourself to be truly seen, you get this deep connection we're all searching for. But what's unique about this kind of connection, allowing yourself to be that vulnerable, is that it's authentic. You have an authentic connection with another human being. And that's what we crave. That's what we need. You're not hiding anything. You're not covering up anything. You're not deceiving anybody. You're not lying to yourself. You're no longer betraying yourself. You're opening up yourself to be who you truly are, the whole of you. And people who are wholehearted fully embrace their vulnerability. It's not something they run away from it's they, or cower in fear or worry about what other people might think of them. They are not afraid of losing love because they know the source of their love is inside them. They believe that vulnerability is the, what makes them beautiful. Let me say that again. They believe their vulnerability is what makes them beautiful. To be vulnerable is to be fully open to life, to be fully alive and is characterized by the willingness to embrace all that life has to offer. So, wholehearted people forgive easily, not because the other person deserves it, but because they deserve peace. They will be the first ones to say, I'm sorry, or I love you, because they know there are no guarantees in life. They recognize the transience of this material world and will find out and cultivate what is truly most important. It's not the material things or grievances which are of value to a wholehearted person. Love holds no grievances, as A Course in Miracles says. You cannot love someone and at the same time hold a grievance against them. They're contradictory impulses. All you see when you hold a grievance is someone who has wronged you and, and they're unforgivable for what they have done and who deserves punishment by you. Be aware of that. That's the predator in you. They may have done something in the past that is wrong. And they may have to be atoned. Things may have to be atoned. And the wrongs may need to be addressed. But there is a difference in how you do it. When you do it from a place, a wholehearted place, you respect the person who stands before you. And you recognize the error and the mistakes that they made. And is that they were coming from a place where they were not who they really are. That in that moment, they fell asleep to who they really truly are and behaved in ways that were hurtful. But you can't solve a problem on the same level that it was created. You must rise up from the pain, the anger, and desire for revenge, and you've got to seek what is noble in you. You've got to have that. You've got to seek what is noble in you. You've got to find it. Act from it. Act from a place of self-love, self-respect, self-esteem, and you will begin the process of transcending the events or event which has caused you so much pain. You got to trust in the process. It's not easy. <laughs> Believe me, it's not. But it will, it does work. And slowly you will transform and you will eventually be free from these pains. Now, vulnerability is at the core of shame, of fear, of guilt, and self hatred. And it's a struggle for love and belonging. Now, as Brene Brown points out, it is also. Now pay attention to this. It is also the birthplace of joy, creativity, belonging, and love. Now, if vulnerability is the birthplace of all those emotions that we truly cherish, then it is so vitally important to be tender and kind to ourselves and to those around us. Love begets more love. Fear begets more fear. Just can't be any other way. These are the laws. These are, the, these are the laws of cause and effect. 
When we give ourselves permission to be vulnerable, we give ourselves a chance to experience life from a place of wholeness because we are not afraid of letting ourselves be seen. And that takes true courage. And the, re and the reward for living, from living from this place is you live from a place of true authenticity. You are authentically you. But it is so difficult. It's so difficult for us to be vulnerable. And why? Why is it so difficult for us to be vulnerable? Well, for one reason, we numb vulnerability. If we don't allow ourselves to be seen vulnerably, which is about being in touch with who you are, with your feelings and emotions. Human beings are unique in the animal kingdom. We think and we feel. Feelings can make us feel very vulnerable. And at the same time, it's what makes life so worth living. Can you imagine what your life would be like without your feelings? You know, all the color and all the majesty of life would be just completely stripped away. You wouldn't know what the sun felt like or on your skin. You wouldn't know what uh, the taste of an apple felt like, the smell of a rose, the sound of music, or the tenderness of a kiss. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't feel any pain, but you don't also wouldn't feel joy either. We live in a world of opposites. This is how mankind learns, that we live in contrast. That's just no, and it's no different with feelings. But we reject our negative feelings because we fear them. And what we fear controls and dominates our lives. So what is it that we're so afraid of? It's really important to get. At our core, we're afraid of rejection. We, my God, we live in a vulnerable world. One moment you have a job, and the next, you're, you've just been laid off. You've got bills piling up, and you don't know how in the world you're going to pay those bills. A relationship turns bad. It's turned sour, and... Oh, my God, you don't even know if you'll ever be able to trust and love again. Because there are so many areas of our lives where we feel threatened or have experienced tragedy or loss or, or violence, we don't know, allow ourselves to be vulnerable and feel those negative emotions. And it's the only way we believe we can protect ourselves and our livelihood from the cold, cruel world is just to block it out. But what ends up happening is instead of giving ourselves permission to experience those negative emotions associated with that trauma, with that loss, with the, the tragedy, we numb it. And you can't selectively numb your emotions. So this is what we do. You think to yourself, you know what, I'm not going to feel these negative emotions. I'm gonna, it's just too painful. And well, what we do, your mind employs unconscious coping strategies to drown out these toxic feelings. Your brain will actually make these tragic adaptations to, it's almost like a uh, preemptive uh, defense mechanism to block you from feeling any of these emotions before anything happens. Even if the person in front of you has nothing to do with what happened in the past, your mind has already set in motion the chemicals, the processes, the defense mechanisms to do that. So for example, these are some of the coping strategies that we do to block it out. You go out and medicate yourself and or engage in addictive or self-destructive behaviors. You sleep too much. You use TV, reading, or hobbies to distract you and numb out. You work compulsively at unrewarding jobs. You binge on any of the above activities when things get tough. You take out your anger and frustration by getting into fights with your loved ones. Or you keep repeating the painful experiences over and over and over again. And these are just a few ways people who have experienced trauma, loss, tragedy, deal with this in their lives. And, and, and why do we do this? These deep-seated emotions of guilt and shame are like poisons to our soul, and our soul wants to get rid of it. It wants to be purged. You have to go through a purge of all these toxic emotions, and it's good for our well-being. But if we numb our emotions, it's like we put a plug on the wound, hoping that this is going to solve the problem. And it does temporarily, but like water it plugged up in a pipe in your house, if you don't clear it up, it's going to burst. And the mess you have to clean up later is much worse than if you just cleaned it up when you first noticed the problem. By numbing your negative emotions, you also numb your capacity to feel love, your capacity to feel joy your capacity to feel good. 
life is seen through this lens that is it's fogged up because your emotions are clogged up and, and your mind is stuck in the painful experiences of your past behind all these negative feelings and emotions behind them are all the good feelings and emotions we want to experience the gratitude the joy the love the happiness and authentic connection but what ends up happening is when we don't feel good and we don't feel happy we feel miserable we're depressed and then we're we're not finding the meaning and purpose in our lives we feel despair we feel hopelessness we feel like our lives are going nowhere or uh, that there's nobody appreciates what we do nobody values we're always being criticized and we just repeat the same thing the same uh, narrative in our minds over and over again and then we start drinking and we do drugs and we medicate ourselves from the pain and this becomes a really dangerous cycle. And if we could just go back to that original moment, that original tragedy, that trauma, that pain, that loss, and where that error occurred, where we made that error. And if we could atone for that error and heal it within ourselves and atone with others for if we need to atone with others, we can unravel all that we've done to ourselves to bury the pain of that experience. We can make it worse and compound the problem by employing all these other ways to deal with the pain, the ways we try to cope. So what do we do when we numb? Addictions. That's what happens. This can occur in a variety of forms. Alcohol or drug abuse, high-risk sex, gambling, compulsive exercise or work, or repeatedly getting involved in emotionally or physically abusive relationships. These are just a few examples. We make the uncertain certain. Religion was a beautiful mystery of spirit infusing all of life. And there are many different pathways to one, the same God. However, we've come to a situation in our society and our, <clears throat> in our world where we say, my way is right, your way is wrong, and if you don't follow my way, I'm going to kill you. You're going to go to hell. Our beliefs have become so limiting and restrictive, we don't allow ourselves the possibility to open up to something bigger and more inclusive. Instead, we believe <clears throat> we are right, and if you're with us, we like you, you're our friends. And if you don't, you're against us, and therefore you are our enemy whether we consciously make the, are aware of this or not. And we also use blame. Blame is another tool we use as a way to discharge the pain and discomfort of our guilt and shame. And when we blame, we're not dealing with our stuff. Now the playwright Moliere in his play Tartuffe writes, those who have the most guilt and shame are the first ones to accuse and blame. Blame is a method we employ to avoid facing what we need to face. And know it. It's the truth. I know it in my life. Whenever there's blame, whenever there's drama, there's always deceit. Always. Stop blaming other people for what has gone wrong in your life. Make it a point to be self-accountable. If people have wronged you, and they may have, and, and people do that, and they refuse to change or acknowledge the pain they did to you, Bless them and let them go. Just bless them and let them go. It's just a bit of advice. And work on your stuff. You're responsible for your stuff. And then when you get through it, you resurrect and you move on. You move forward with your head held high. Another thing that we do is we perfect, which doesn't work. We get plastic surgery. We obsess over our bodies. We attempt to control the behaviors of the people in our world. Because we see others in our world as a reflection of who we are. And if they are perfect, that must mean I'm perfect. We do this to our children. We just try to control them in every move. And instead of giving them nurturing, love, and the tools to empower them to meet the challenges they will inevitably face in life, we try to make them these perfect little boys and girls. When they don't meet, measure up to our expectations of them, they're likely to experience emotional and psychological damage. They're hardwired to struggle, just like we all are. We've got to give them the tools to be able to do that and bring out their unique identity, why their soul came into this world, and help them to develop that. 
to bring that to its fullest potential. And lastly, the things we do when we, when, when we numb out is we pretend. We pretend that what we do does not affect other people. It does. All of life is connected. Plants give off oxygen, which we need to breathe, and we exhale carbon dioxide, which the plants need to live. At the molecular level, the atomic soup of all living things is carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, and hydrogen. This is found in every living thing you see, everything. A leaf, a dog, a butterfly's wing, a bird, <laughs> and in you. What we do affects all of life because we are a part of life, and life is a part of us. Whenever you hurt another human being, I want you to imagine a sword right above your head. And whenever you strike out from your pain, that sword is reaching down and striking you. This is the understanding of what you do to others is what you do to yourself. And I don't understand how, the, how all of these things work. I mean, I'm still learning it along with you. How is it that what is in one is in the whole? I'm still learning that. But these are things that I have recognized in my own life that we do. And I would hopefully that you'll be able to take some of this information into your lives and recognize when we act from our pain, we're not being the best of who we are. We're not holding ourselves in dignity. We're not holding that self-accountability to act from a place of goodness in spite of what may have happened to us. So all of these things themselves or in combination prevent us from being real and authentic with the people in our lives. See, shame keeps us doing the same things over and over again because our souls want to heal from this pain. The soul wants to be united with truth and love because that's what it comes from. The love that it is, the truth that it is, and the love that it shares with every living thing. Anything that is not love will be come up to be healed and transformed if we recognize that that is what the soul is doing. But we've got to learn how to eliminate shame. That's our job. So how do we learn that? How do we eliminate guilt? First of all, we've got to give ourselves permission to be truly seen. We must be transparent. Otherwise, we're living in secrecy and hiding the things we don't want others to see. And you've got to start with you. You can't worry about the outside. You, you can't control what the rest of society is doing. You've got to start with you, being transparent, being honest with you, being truthful, no longer lying to yourself, no longer deceiving others, no longer betraying yourself. Now, our society has taught us it is better to lie about ourselves than to be open and honest with the people in our lives. Everyone has at one time withheld the truth because it was our impression this would keep us safe and protected from the judgment and accusations of others that we are bad or wrong for feeling this way, which would then keep us from feeling love and connection. You know what? Screw that. You know, screw that. It's better to speak the truth of who you are than to live a lie in order to, for people to like and love you. You know, those who truly love you are going to love you no matter what. And they're going to love you more because of the courage you showed by opening up your heart to them honestly and truthfully. Those who find fault or judge you harshly or criticize you, you know, they're coming from a mind that doesn't understand what it means to live authentically. And the courage it takes to reveal the truth in you and the secrets that you've held for too long. Let them go. Let them go. Acceptance, grace, dignity, bless them knowing that the right people will come into your life, into your world, who will accept you exactly as you are. Truth plus transparency, along with unconditional love, equals healed. And being surrounded in a community, and a community that understands and gets you and that will support you. Oh, my gosh. You are no longer having to carry those wounds all by yourself. And that was so evident this uh, two weeks ago with the, the Warriors Spirituality Retreat and Well-Being Retreat. You have to allow yourself to be seen by those with whom you can tell your story wholeheartedly too, without being shamed or for it or judged. Now, another thing to do to eliminate shame is to love with your whole heart, even though there's no guarantee that you're going to get that love back. 
You've got to go out into the world and you've got to love. you got to, as many people have said before, this is not my wisdom. You can only give what you have. And thus, in order to give love, you've got you to be love. You've got to recognize that the love that you have is already inside of you and you give it away. And we'll come back to you some way, in another form. But your job is to be what you want to experience. You've got to practice gratitude, joy, seeing the goodness and abundance in your life. When you are able to see the good things in your life, which are right there in front of you, just asking to be seen, so slowly, but pull yourself out of the prison house of shame. Life's not all dark. Sometimes it is. It seems that way. But you get to choose. You got to see the light. You got to lean to the light. You got to lean to the light in you. All right? You got to call into life what it is that you want to experience. And it'll give you strength to be able to face those other things as well. Along with the desire to experience that light, you've got to feel that you are worthy of good things. That you are enough, just the way you are. You've got to get. You've got to totally accept you before anybody else does. No one can give you what you already have. No one outside of you can make you feel worthy. No one. It comes from you. You have everything inside of you right now. So stop running away from the things you need to face. We all need to face them, and it's not easy. But boy, when you do, when you face it, when you face the truth. And you do it with love, compassion, and understanding. And you'll be able to free yourself from the guilt, the pain, the shame of your past. If we don't look at our guilt and shame, it keeps us in a place that doesn't allow us to be the fullest expression of who we are capable of being. Guilt and shame imprison us. They bind our spirits and they hold us down at the mercy of our past actions and behaviors. Guilt and shame is, is hell. It can be hell on earth, but it cannot survive empathy. And when you find it, when you find this empathy within yourself to be truly honest, and you find a community that is able to help you to extract the gold from the dark, to pull out the things which are of value in your life, to atone for the errors you've made with a full and penitent heart, you will see that these were lessons for you to learn, and grow so that you can become the person you are capable of being. And without those experiences, you wouldn't be able to bring to the world what you were intended to bring into it. Now, I hope, uh, I hope you will tune in. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have another fantastic guest and that you'll be able to take these, uh, this information about guilt and shame into your lives. Uh, no matter what. It's all about really being able to recognize that we, we, are, we have what's inside of us to be able to heal those wounds <clears throat> if we are able to see and look at it without, uh, without judging ourselves. I want to thank KUHSDenver.com for allowing us here to broadcast the show, the council, out to you. Uh, it is truly an honor uh, and, a, and a privilege to be able to speak to you and the world from this place. And KUHS Denver has been so gracious to me all this time. Uh, for all, over a year now, the council has been broadcasting live for over a year, and it couldn't be happening without each and every one of you. Um, please tune into the show here at KU, other shows here at KUHSDenver.com. Like I said, we're broadcasting all around the world, reaching, touching hearts, changing lives. We'll be back in a couple weeks. We have some great guests that we're going to be on. I'm so excited for you to meet some of these people. They are incredible. We're going to be looking at different rituals of transformation. We're going to be talking about uh, some very difficult topics uh, about the Catholic Church and how the Catholic Church needs to face some of the issues of the child uh, sex abuse problems. Uh, we're going to talk about how other um, firefighters and police officers are reaching out into their communities and, and, and tackling their problems. So I hope you turn into it uh, to the council because we've got some really great things lined up for you. Thank you, folks, for being here with me. Uh, the council is adjourned. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. God bless all of you, and uh, I wish you all a wonderful, wonderful weekend. God bless.
Thank you, folks, uh, on the international camera. Again, we will be back in two weeks. Please tune back into the council for another great show. And thank you so much for tuning in all around the world. Uh, it really is an honor uh, to broadcast to all of you. Thank you. God bless.